You haven't been recording? But no. Oh shit. <laughs> is this is this our start? Are we yeah, starting? That's it. That was it. I like the conversation we were having yesterday about uh, 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 VR applications, especially vis-a-vis military and terrorism. Man, I don't know enough about that, but we can we can sure talk about it. Um, I don't think that's anything that you know about. I think it's just uh, let's wildly speculate. Yeah. I just feel strongly that VR as a technology is way, way, way too uh, undeveloped and immature to be, you know, have any application in anything besides a publicity stunt. So you do or do not think that military is a good use, Mr. Lilja? It's too expensive. It doesn't do enough. It gets in, like you can, you can effectively train a marine by throwing them out in the woods with an obstacle course and making them crawl under barbed wire in the mud, or like you can set that whole thing up for not a ton of money and then put a ton of people through it, or you can rely on VR, which is so new and immature that it requires thousand dollar computers, two thousand, three thousand dollar computers to run properly. Then you have to pay somebody all that time and energy to actually build the environment. Make sure it works for the person using it. And then you have to make sure that what you're doing is actually going to be beneficial when you already have all the information to show that your current paradigms work just fine. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like it's not a full replacement. You know, it's not a, all right, swap it out. No one's going through the, no one's going under the barbed wire. No one's going through boot camp. It's going to be like this partition, very small, niche VR can be trained to use, could be a useful training tool in these specific high stress scenarios or something or just they we want to acclimate you with a particular environment so then way when you go to it in real life there's less like acclimation or something you know you know that's interesting i've seen it used and heard about it used for ptsd treatment yeah um but i've also seen that vr is it, it works just fine but you can also have people just close their eyes and imagine themselves being in a situation and you can have just as effective uh ptsd treatment reduction is it that's real? Right, like you don't need a big VR environment. The close your eyes and imagine is as, as as effective. I don't know if it's as effective, but it is currently the way that people use it. Oh, okay. Right, or are being treated for PTSD right now, and it was effective enough that uh, it's just the standard method of treating it. That and CBT. Gotcha. And I guess to me, it seems more like a you know you're saying that it's cost prohibitive. You know, it, it, it's thousands of dollars for the computer and the equipment, and somebody to write the software. But you're also talking about like for the military, especially in America, an organization that has, in theory, a kind of limitless budget, like, should they need it? So, is, is the... They still need... I mean, there was a breakdown of the U.S. military budget, and it's not as limitless as it sounds, because the vast majority of it goes towards salaries and pensions. And so, even within the military, you still have to demonstrate that what you're asking for money to do is going to have a good cost-benefit ratio. And if you say, okay, I want... $50,000 to set up a, a, a VR lab with the current technology to see if we can use it to train soldiers, the brass is going to look at you and say, we can already train them using boot camp, and we can do that. We can train, you know, hundreds of soldiers at the same time instead of having a room with, like, 20 Oculus headsets in it. So I was going to say, just on the cost front, I think, I think VR and even creating the content, which is probably the most expensive component, I think it's a drop in the bucket. Like, I, I mean, I realize that we're not talking limitless, but we're talking about a program that would cost... I mean, you could fund a pretty decent VR lab for probably a million dollars or something, which I can't imagine is, you know, an outcry of overspending or abusive, you know, spending or something. But um, for all the potential uses that it would have, 
I don't think that that type of money is a big deal. Although the cheaper alternative is still to send people out, but that's just human resource time, right? And if that's the vast majority of where the budget's going, maybe VR would be a decent replacement for some of those up man hours. Well, and here's my other issue with VR that is it, you stick a head-mounted display in your face mm-hmm. and now you can't see the world around you. Mm-hmm. And so any sort of social interaction is immediately reduced unless you can write the, you, you have the infrastructure for the back end of that. And then trying to write a system that involves all that is reliable and is better than just being out in the field with your fellow soldiers. I can't imagine that that's going to be an effective way of training people until the technology gets a lot better. I think you just assume, or you don't assume, you understand the constraint of VR. So you don't try to do social training in VR. I don't think that's, I think, I think you're right. I think that'd be a bad decision. I think there's plenty of scenarios that aren't social training context that you could use VR. So things that you just need to put people through exposure or you need to have them make decisions you know under stress or duress or you just decisions within a particular environment that and it requires no social component it could just be something like procedural training items i mean we've seen this in our own lab right like under your advisor they do that type of training with firefighters doing procedural you know like questioning as they go through with you know varying levels of stress in a virtual environment and that doesn't require a social component so i think there's scenarios that would be potentially useful and pretty cheap but i think that's different because of the lab that i worked in was we use VR because we can control the environment for the purpose of probing their mental models and their behavior. It's I think that's the research component for VR makes a lot more sense to me than the training component does. But think of like simulators back in the day. Like originally those were designed as a research tool that evolved into a training tool. And now flight sims and stuff like that exist in very realistic experiences. So is it not safe to assume yeah, yeah, yeah. that VR, well, maybe today or tomorrow or this year or even next year, that it's not there, but then you start looking further in the future and you say, okay, in 2020, 2025, you start getting to a point where it's like, oh, now this is a practical application of this technology and cost has come down at that point. So it's not necessarily looking at, is VR going to be used for training tomorrow? It's could VR be used for training 10 years from now? Yes, I, we are in agreement. And yes, VR will be used training down the line. I don't know if it'll be 2025. I think it's going to be closer to 2065. I don't think that... I think there's still some pretty big limitations that needs to overcome with graphics and assets and development and even just your ability to walk around and do something in a VR environment. It's not the hollow, not the holodeck, right? It's not a totally free environment you can do whatever you want and it it has there's a lot of elements that have to go into it um and uh, you know the flight simulators now are highly specialized technology that exists as a combination of like a small like i think of an airplane simulator right you have like the 747 cockpit and that is a 747 cockpit with screens instead of windows uh because it's just not feasible to create the entire thing in a head-mounted display where you have all these buttons and knobs and switches and everything like that and a co-pilot. Would it be safe to say that sometime in the future, maybe it's not VR, but more of an AR type thing that gets used for this type of training? That's a different conversation, but I, I abs- like without diving down into it, I absolutely think that AR is the, will be the more successful medium. I think VR is going to have a lot of niche use, and I think AR is going to be the one that sweeps more general application. I agree. I, I think the difference for me between AR and VR is that AR is essentially VR, where all the problems with graphics and physics and everything else have been solved for you by being in reality. 
right? Virtual reality is virtual reality. It is intentionally, it's a replacement for what you're in now and that makes it impossible. Like that means you have to replace everything and you have to do it at a fidelity that your body doesn't react and reject it. Right, so so you've identified, like as we've been talking, we've tar- we sort of talked about three, three hurdles for VR to overcome. I would say they're constraints so what the medium allows you to do, so we were talking about things like social interaction as a constraint, right? Um, we're talking about fidelity as the second one, so how good it looks, because there's concern that if it doesn't look realistic, people won't think it's realistic. And then you're talking about cost, because the technology, as, as we're seeing with early adopters, is pretty expensive, although I still would argue that relative to conventional personal training, like having people facilitate the training in physical locations, is probably cheaper. But constraints, I think you just recognize those, and that's where... AR is going to be better overall, but VR is going to have some scenarios in which the constraints that are specifically lined up with VR and the, and also its affordances, right, like because you can do anything, as long as you understand that the fidelity is good enough, that makes VR the superior training tool for a particular set of items, definitely not all, not even close to all. So that's why I think it would be under AR. Um, but the fidelity issue, like this has been... I mean, this has been discussed lots of times, and it's, you know, people have found that if you show someone... I'll have to find this study, but there's there's studies that have shown like let's have you go through a video game, and the first version of this video game, and they're all all three are identical video games in function. One is literally a wireframe of the video game, right? The next one has basic graphics, like very simple lines and textures, and then the third one was you know like a current. These are good graphics for the time, and it turns out that people for the way they performed and what they got out of the training didn't really matter what the fidelity was. So I think if you understand your constraints, you have good enough fidelity, and I don't think cost is a you know an issue. VR is great for whatever scenarios it works in. There's definitely been a lot of work showing that, uh, at least for hospitals and doctors, if you train on a procedure in VR, you have substantial benefits that transfer over to the actual procedures themselves. Mm -hmm. And those have been with systems that were developed in the 90s. uh, And they have very low fidelity. Right, exactly. Yeah, so I think... But I think... I think there's still enough limits. So I, I see what you're saying. I, I agree with you on that point. I just think before you can have it be widespread and commonly used and sort of like the go-to method of training something, you, you have to solve a lot of these problems. I agree. I don't, and I don't think that it's going to be the go-to training method. I just don't think that. I, like in my mind, VR is good for training, sort of initial exposure in basic training you know, regimens, right? And then when you need to become more specialized or go through and do more detailed training, you need to go out and either have an amazing VR experience or amazing haptic experience for some of that feedback, or it needs to transition to AR, or you just do the training like normal, and you know it's some combination of all of these. But I mean, just in the exposure benefit realm, lots of people who do simulators, and so I'm specifically thinking about driving simulators now because that's where I've seen more stuff on the internet and been more involved. Guys who go out and drive tracks in real life will spend, you know, this makes sense, right? They'll spend hours and hours and hours doing thousands of laps virtually, and this began like with the worst version of a, it's not virtual reality if you're talking about virtual, vir, virtual reality being a stereo viewing of a virtual environment, but just video games, generic video games, driving the track in you know, Gran Turismo 1 from 95 or whatever, that's, that helped people. And then as you bring it up and you just bring in people driving tracks in VR, that's way more beneficial than not doing the track at all. And you save tons of time when you get to the actual training. Sure. Um, but those are fairly high fidelity simulations, right? Like Gran Turismo now does a lot of incredibly... Co- complex and realistic physics calculations to deal things like slippage and and torque and how the body is moving relative to the suspension and the, the wheels and the axles and that kind of thing and for like a military simulation that means when you fire a gun that you it's not enough to model the kick as just the reticle bouncing in the air and then coming back down 
right? You have to, it's a whole body sort of thing, and you just that, and that's the other the huge huge limitation I see in VR is that you have one form of input, maybe two. You can have audio, you can have visual, but you have so many other senses that you're using that aren't being that 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 you that you're not changing anything for, that you're not actually creating a new reality for. Yeah, I think it's a spectrum. Like I, I mean, you know. You know, Ian and I growing up playing whatever racing games or whatever, like I would say that we probably felt more confident when we transitioned to the car just because we had exposure with the like the the way that the system was supposed to react, even if the fidelity was awful, right? Like somebody who plays like if we played Need for Speed together, <laughs> that's better than not playing anything at right. all. But if you want to get up and understanding the physics and the body roll and whatever, then you do obviously need something more complex. But I think I just think it's a spectrum, right? So it depends on what your target is. Yeah. So I think you said this before. It's sort of like a it's a. Uh, uh, like low level you sort of you get like the bulk of the experience up front and then as your experience curve reaches that elbow where like more and more time has a less and less impact on your training and your your benefit that's when you need higher fidelity simulations in order to actually get sort of benefit out of the training yeah i absolutely agree so with that does that make does that make vr the ground level then that's like your intro to it and then as you get more realistic then you have to go to the real world i think that could be i think that's a nice assessment right i think that could be your your very low barrier to entry exposure to something, especially if it's novel to you and you've never done it before. Right. Here's the other thing I want to know about that, though. For a while there, the military was recruiting using video games. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it... America's Army, right? Right, right. Can you, if, like, is a VR experience going to result in substantially better training than just playing, like, America's Army first person close to a, a high-def TV? Ooh. Uh, probably not. I don't know. I mean, it's all, uh, it's all about the experience, though. If it feels like a more realistic experience than just sitting in front of a TV, I mean, I, I think of things like, like Chase and I have discussed before, like when you turn your head, if the VR headset follows that movement and you're looking around, that feels more real than looking at a screen and using a joystick left, right to turn. I mean, I suppose they could yeah. put you in a room with a 360 set of screens and you could physically turn in the environment. I've seen that with racing sims where it actually, or like we talked about with the flight simulator, where it's just a bunch mm-hmm. of screens around you. Mm-hmm. And as, so as you physically turn your head, you're just seeing screens in different areas. But if, if it feels more realistic because it's responding to the way you're moving, I think that is more accurate than, like you said, sitting in front of a TV with a controller in your hand or whatever it is and experiencing it kind of in a so then I first think this- person, third person thing. I think this boils down to the question of immersion. Yeah, I was going to say, so gonna, is it enough? Yeah, yes, I love the immersion presence question. <laughs> right, because, like, it, it, is it just that, like, you sort of, you... So I guess what I'm thinking about is immersion, like, in a movie, right? Like, you don't necessarily need to, if it's a really good movie, really well done, you don't necessarily need to be in the movie seeing everything in order to feel as though you were a part of it and be drawn into the world. Same thing with a video game, same thing with the literature, anything like that, right? So, is VR then, could you call that a crutch for poorly implemented worlds? So because the storytelling is poor, because the world building is poor, you need to have an interactive, as realistic as possible, first person entrance into the world in order for it to be effective and immersive? Okay, so a couple things there. Like one, one, let's talk about real, real quick for everybody's benefit. Immersion and presence, right? Presence is the feeling of being somewhere. Immersion are the factors that help you feel a sense of presence. The sense as your immersion grows, the factors of immersion grow, you're able to more likely gain a better sense of presence. You can be absolutely present reading a novel, and that's a super low immersion factor, right? You, so people say, I'm immersed in the novel, but what they really feel is they're present in the, in the universe, right? Um, 
But if you are in VR, what VR does, and the reason that people like it for this topic of conversation, is it affords you more ways to feel immersed. It gives you an additional, more high, you know, a more responsive, as Ian just described, visual um, method of interacting with your environment. And then you can add things like audio and potentially haptic feedback, and those are all elements of immersion that would help you feel a greater sense of presence. Um, so I think VR is good for that. And then the second, like the second point, more to what you're talking about, if you want VR to be that tool that helps you introduce this sense of presence, I think it only like I think the novel factor wears off, and that's my concern for VR because as people have seen it a few times, they're like, okay, great, now you actually, you know, the novelty's worn off. I'm not really that into it. It's you need to build content that actually makes sense to exploit the you know the benefits of VR, and so just having it is definitely not enough. And I think that's probably one of your big concerns as you've been talking, Olja. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Here's another thing I just thought of. Um, what if it turns out that virtual reality sickness is something that can't really be solved, and it means that half the population cannot use virtual reality? I I fundamentally don't believe that. I think that I don't think it's like not half. There's going to be some, you know, it's a bell curve, and there's going to be some tiny subset of people that are going to get sick, probably in very you know light scenarios. But I think that you can solve it for the majority of people. But does that mean that? If, for the army, if you're using that for training, and that becomes like the core, the entrance to basic training, mm-hmm. and then some of your recruits cannot complete basic training, not because they're unfit, not because they're not going to be good soldiers, but simply because they get motion sick in virtual reality, and now like two to five percent of the people you recruit cannot be in the army. No, that's not true. I think I think they just get a different experience, and it, it might be cheapened for the overall purpose, but it's not going to hold them back in the grand scheme of things. So I think if you had a VR experience and they couldn't participate in it, VR meaning, meaning viewing in stereo and potentially with some surround sound or something, right? You would just give them the non-stereo open screen version of that experience. So again, a spectrum, a lesser version of what they would be getting, but it would allow them to go through it. But then that sort of implicitly acknowledges then that there could be the potential that the non-stereo version is just as effective or close enough that it doesn't really matter to replace VR. Sure, that could be the case. We don't know that though. And I, I mean, if people are building it for VR and VR, and for whatever their reason is, if VR happens to be better than the desktop, then they're going to build a VR. But and some people might get a cheap experience. But maybe you're right. Maybe it turns out that VR just doesn't have the benefit, right? Like you see 95% of the results with people sitting on laptops. So why would you do VR? That's a great question. For what it's worth, uh, just quick googling. There's a, an article on the Army's website actually from 2012 about them using VR for some training stuff. And mm-hmm. one of the people that's part of this training, whenever they do these training groups, is sitting at a manned station with computer monitors without the VR headset. Mm-hmm. So in the event that you had a situation where you had somebody who was experiencing that constant VR sickness, there's no way past it, whatever, that could be their role in that training. Yes, they're not going to get the same experience if everybody's rotating around and maybe they have to sit in that spot every time. But... right. In a situation like that, especially for training, it's like, well, you get to be the one who's now sending the audio or the you know radio cues to whoever, or telling them, or maybe you're triggering triggering the the things that show up in the the virtual world. So yeah, there there is already some uh, some stuff happening. It's just a matter of you know who who can take advantage of what parts of it. Yeah, I think identifying roles is important, and especially, so we're talking about tra- team training with that and team training is really tricky because of these emergent roles and what people, some people are good at, you know, the leader role, support role, maybe the, you know, maybe the actual support not even involved as you just mentioned role. So 
defining what those are and identifying who can do them successfully is one of the most difficult pieces. But, there, but you're right. There's like there's a place for everybody at the table, right? At least that's what it sounds like. I mean, they're, they're trying to make it and work, would, but... Yeah, I would argue that's true. So, hmm. so it could be this entire conversation was, was a total waste because they're already using VR. No, we already know they're using VR. No, it's, it's definitely not a waste. It's definitely not. This is like the future and the prol- proliferation of VR as it hits consumer level. So, like, if you want to talk about VR in like big waves, wave one is the '90s. The hype train comes up. Um, people have bad experiences with it. It looks, yeah. Well, Viewmaster's not that. I think people think fondly of the Viewmaster, but it just magic I, eyes. It's got some serious constraints, right? <laughs> um, but VR comes. You know, the '90s hype gets big. It looks pretty awful. People have some bad experiences. It, it ends, right? So this has always been the fear that it, as it comes back around, people are going to get sick again and it'll wash away. Doesn't look like it's the case. Oculus, Valve, Sony, everybody who's working on these things, they're taking some you know great pains to make sure that people aren't just going to get sick and walk away and you know give them bad reviews on the internet. So I don't think it's that is going to repeat itself. So this is like our second big wave. Um, but now. The, the point of- I think I think this is more sustainable in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, because instead of having to spend fifteen thousand dollars on a head a head mounted display that required you to literally wear a backpack with these huge cables and like you just were unable to to use it for much longer if you got sick and no matter what you were looking at incredibly low resolution yeah screens with crappy little polygons like now we have consumer level hardware that regular people have access to that can run high definition light head mounted displays that could wear potentially indefinitely yeah exactly I, that's that's what it, that was my point yeah so we've hit consumer vr like march 28th 2016 right. consumer vr with the oculus rift release is a thing and so now this is why the discussion becomes relevant again with the proliferation and the democratization of the technology you have a lot more opportunity for people to create content and design new experiences that exploit this technology in ways that have not been used with it having such low access you know, you did you did mention the whole idea of getting sick of things, though, and not to steer this a totally different direction. But no, a sorry. lot of companies got behind 3D TV and made sure that it was affordable at an entry level, and people started working on content. And tell me where 3D TV is now. Yeah, 3D TV was okay, that, bad. <laughs> 3D TV was a usability nightmare. It was a gimmick, and nobody... It, all it takes is five minutes of interviews with your customers to go out there and realize that nobody wants to pop glasses on to watch TV with their family. Yeah especially when there's an incredibly narrow field of view that you can watch it on. Like, that's just not how people watch TV. But for me, I, when I go sit down uh, in my basement and turn on the Xbox to play video games, the last thing I want to do now is have to put on a headset that now forces me to <laughs> ignore everyone. So I, I, I think it still right. is edging on that same problem of it could get to be something that you get sick of, especially if you're in a, any type of social environment. I play video games yeah. a lot of times with my wife sitting next to me on the couch. With the Xbox, I'll even snap TV next to it because that's genius. Sure. And she'll yeah. watch TV, but then during commercial breaks or if I'm, you know, I just died again in, in Battlefront or whatever it is, I turn to her and I'm like, what's going on? And we talk about stuff or if it's a commercial break. Or, <laughs> so by having the headset on, now I kind of... so. So real quick, there's a huge difference. That's a great point, right? 3D TV is a perfect comparison point because um, the hype grows. It's got this new novel way of you know viewing tech, viewing things, and then it dies. The main difference is that I don't think VR wants to be your new TV, and I would I definitely wouldn't support that myself. But I don't think that's the mission. VR is going to create content for its own medium, so it'll be new experiences that you didn't know you wanted ahead of time, and now that you've been exposed to them, you'll want them. I don't think it becomes the replacement screen. 3D TV was just a new display. If VR was just a new display, it would die. The thing that's going to help VR succeed is the content and the experiences that are unique to that medium. 
the counterpoint to that is how excited people are getting about virtual desktop. F that. That is, the st- I know it's a perfect counterpoint, and virtual desktop is trash. Ian, have you seen this too? No. Oh, it is a it is a it is a, a VR software that replicates your existing monitors in VR. It's dumb. It's what you just talked about. It's like, That's why it. do you want to wear your monitors on your face? So, so it, you're basically just seeing your computer screens through the <laughs> VR glasses. There's this computer screen right. that is sitting next to you, two feet away from you, or at a maximum, like, what, six feet? That's how long the Oculus cable is? Yeah, or whatever. Away from you, on your desk, in VR. And also, because of the way it's implemented, is that you cannot add more monitors <laughs> than you actually have plugged into your computer. You are limited by the number of graphics ports on your computer. So, I think... so there's no way for this to just be the screen or screens it is just a mirror no. of the screens that are already there right it is just a mirror of the screens that are already it's there. real bad and you can put them in fancy <laughs> environments but that's it so uh, you're the hype around this is think is just because, because it's novel i don't see anybody moving to a productivity scenario where they're using this exact you know piece of technology as their display but Let's give it a let's give it a little bit of time, right? Because the whole like limited to number of physical GPUs, you know, outs or whatever. That's I assume that's a temporary constraint as stuff gets better. People. No, 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 no. That, no. So that's fundamental to the way this is designed. Okay. Well, then someone will make a different version. But you can't tell me that there's right. not going to be a virtual desktop in which you just throw up a million screens because you can already do that with some things. But yeah. Right. I mean, that makes much more sense. But even then, it, but even then, like who? Who's the guy or who's the girl that has, you know, 50 screens up that they physically are rolling their head around looking at them? It's actually, it's interesting you mentioned that. So as I was, I, I recently bought the iPad Air 2 because I wanted the multitasking features because I found myself wanting it fairly regularly on my old iPad 2. Mm-hmm. But what I found is that the majority of the time, I would say probably 80% of the time I'm using my iPad, I'm focusing on one application. And then when I need to multitask, it's two. It very, very rarely I need to switch between three applications, but just having two side by side is more than enough for me. Mm-hmm. I don't see the need to have more monitors ever than like two and at the outside three. Right, right. So just there's just not enough going on side by side like that. And so then that I mean, if that's the case, then what benefit does having a two D representation of twenty monitors in VR do for you? Yeah, that you can't. And I would argue that you cannot do better with a two-dimensional system right now. Like if you have like thirty screens or windows or whatever going on like that, that's fine. But there's probably better two D metaphors of dealing with all that information than just having like an unending row of monitors extended the distance that you actually have to like swipe through or whatever. I mean, I think yeah. of how like uh, on on the Mac how you can have multiple screens or spaces and swipe through them. That to me right. makes far more sense. I'm looking at this pictures of this virtual desktop thing. And that uh, we'll just say that's the 3D TV gimmick because this looks unusable. Yeah, <laughs> um, it totally is, right? But I, I agree. Like, I, I have two monitors at my desk uh, at work. Rarely do I even use the second monitor. I've tried to hook up three monitors. I end up never looking at the third one, or it's like that's just where iTunes sits, so I can change songs occasionally. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think you need that many. <laughs> I mean, most people, right? Once again, this is a. There are probably scenarios in which somebody who does heavy data visualization across a lot of disparate pieces might want that, or maybe a conspiracy theorist would want it. But um, I don't see normal people needing it. Although I'm, I'm sure for the the type of person who does, they probably already have all those monitors <laughs> yeah. sitting on a desk. So now, when they plug their Oculus in and they do virtual desktop, now they can 
turn their head and pan through them instead of having them all just lined up in a row and they just like tip them down like they're going through a rolodex it's really good yeah it's really good or they just they just have some other system to deal right. with all that so this is sort of an open-ended question what sort of things does virtual reality excel at that cannot be done better in 2d so one of the things that I see people get really excited about all the time is like the internet in VR. And that seems like an absolute nightmare to me <laughs> because like the internet is designed, like information does not want to be in three dimensions. Is that true? Or is it because we've never seen it implemented correctly that way? I'm not arguing. I'm just asking. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's exactly right. I, the way it exists now, sorry, let me say that the way internet is, or information is now, it works really great in 2d. We have really powerful tools to deal with lots and lots of it in these screens that we have. Like, how do we, does it work in VR? Do we want it to work in VR? Is there something that can be done for that? Yeah, that's a good question. I <clears throat> I don't know what the scenario is. I think that's, like, I and mean, we've all talked about this in different ways, but, like, what does VR do well that we can't do already with 2D, right? That's the fundamental question. I don't think viewing the internet the way it exists is something you want to do in VR. I don't think that's true. Um, but I think there's some scenarios in which VR does excel. The traditional, like, let's play a first person shooter with in VR that like, like you just said, Ian, right? Like you don't want to put the, the headset the HMD on to play battlefront. I don't think that's the winner. I think it could be fun maybe, but it would, you know, it would wear on you. Plus that's not designed for VR. It's the experiences that are tailored for VR that are going to excel. So you have things like video games that are specifically made for VR. And there's a couple of different ones. There's one from like Highwire, um, which are some ex bungee guys. They're making a game called Golem. It's a girl who in the story, you play a girl who gets paralyzed and you learn how to interact and control her from a seated position physically as she's learning it in the game. So it's like a hand-holding, let's, let's warm you up to VR and let you play through some of this. And I think that's a perfect example of what VR could be good for. It also excels at anything seated, right? Like, I mean, the, the movement stuff, I'm to be, I still need to be convinced on that. I'm sure it can work, but I just haven't seen it. But like flight simulators, driving simulators, seated with an HMD, amazing. That's my absolute favorite way to play any racing sim. I would that is the best way to ever do it. So, there's things that it does excel at that a 2D screen um, you know, is not near nearly as good. One argument that I heard for VR was uh, specifically experiences and uh, allowing you to adopt other people's diverse viewpoints that you otherwise couldn't have. So I believe it was the New York Times released a bunch. Well, I know they released a million cardboard Google Cardboard VR headsets. Yeah. And then created a bunch of applications that allow you to be like a child in... Yeah, here it is. A child refugee yes. in Syria. Yeah. Um, and I have some concerns with that, but I think generally if people... If it's something you can make people want to use, and I think the novelty of VR helps in this case, but if it's something you can make people want to use, that could be a potentially incredibly powerful way of improving empathy for other people like that. Yep. Right, like if you can literally step into the feet, in, into somebody else's shoes and be a child or like a transgender person or a woman or anything else that you are not already that you can't experience and seeing how like they, what that experience is like for them, that's a really useful and valuable way for VR to, to, to be applied. Can I think of, I think of from even simpler than that, you know, we talked about on that other podcast that one time, the idea of, <laughs> of uh, like a Super Bowl, like the fact that you could now yeah. experience a Super Bowl in in person but not actually in yeah. person like you're actually sitting in the stands without getting rained on or beer spilled on you or whatever it may be and right so even an experience like that where it's just taking you somewhere that you are not or that you maybe couldn't be so not necessarily a refugee in 
in Syria or anything like that, but it could be that you're now standing on the Great Wall of China or right. you're in Times Square or Piccadilly Circus or you know whatever place and now you're you're there and it, you get that three-dimensional feel and it, it's basically taking the uh, Google Earth or Google uh, Street View right. type thing right but now you're in control by moving your head around instead of swiping around with your finger right but isn't VR totally the wrong application for that why because unless you're super 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 into not just football but like being at the Super Bowl you want to be it's something you do with other people. Like nobody throws their, their solo Super, watch, their Super Bowl watch party. That you're there with your friends, you're talking about it, you're watching the game. It's not, you're not just there for the football. Mm-hmm. Some people are certainly, and maybe it's beneficial to those people, but by and large, it's a social experience. And that's where VR's huge pitfall is right now is that you cannot talk to other people. Well, you can, but it's weird, right? Because you have to be in the same simulation or you have to take off your headsets or something like that. Wired had an article that they wrote uh, back in January, a speculative view of what Super Bowl 100 would be like, the year 2066. And I think it's interesting that they talk about VR, but what they're really describing is AR. Because it's inherently social. You have to be able to talk to the other people around you if you want to engage Mm -hmm. with them. So I agree with that, right? I agree with the social component. Um, So to wind it back, what's VR good for? I think the allowing you to step in somebody somebody else's shoes and experience their world in even just the slightest you know fraction of a reflection of what that actually could look like right as so as you stand and watch the some of the syrian refugees run through that house in the new york times and in their uh, news app right like that's powerful for a lot of different reasons and i think used correctly that's a great use for vr and then you get to the general like Let's just go explore stuff. Let's go stand on the Great Wall of China. I even think, like, more practically, what's going to happen is you're just going to have realtors letting you explore a home in VR or whatever. Like, that seems like a simple use of it. That's better than just the desktop because photos seem to never do homes justice, right? You know what I mean? As you walk through a home, it's always different than what you thought. I'll tell you what. Um, being being yeah. in a home and walking through a home doesn't do the home justice because you find out about all kinds of crap after the fact. <laughs> so I can't imagine yeah, that's... a headset is going to fix that. Yeah, it starts highlighting cracks in the floor like... They underreported the age of this like, weather stripping or something. What's um, that leak? Yeah, exactly. Right, like Terminator heads up. What do you mean? There's no installation here. <laughs> but um, you know, as the as the social right, like get, get back to the football scenario because I love this example and I think it's absolutely the truth. You know, Facebook's gonna buy thirty seats at the Super Bowl and they're gonna sell you tickets so you can sit and watch it. So. Will people do it? Yes. Is it the thing that's going to tear down everybody's walls if, if you're just going to sit alone and watch Super Bowl in a virtual seat? No. There's th- things that have to happen to help it be successful. One, you need to have some type of basic social interaction in VR. I think that's absolutely going to come. I'm totally on board with it. Like the three of us sitting next to each other, they put our viewpoints three body spaces apart so we can look at each other and see each other's avatars face turning and looking at each other, give you some type of like simple controls for your hands so you can gesture at each other as we're talking and watching the same content. I think that's enough. Like, I think that's enough to do it at distance. Now, say we're all, say, all three of us are in the same home physically. I think that someone's going to have to do some creative ways to allow you to continue to engage with the content. So maybe you're watching, like, you pay for the ticket. You get the Facebook feed of the Super Bowl that you can stream on your TV because we'll assume everybody's doing some form of smart TV and they can put that content on. Yuck. And that way you'll have, like, yeah, um... Well, smart TVs are gross anyway. You get get an Xbox or get a Apple T or Apple TV or something, right? Um, I have some thoughts about that. Okay, Eddie, okay, it's, pin pin that one. Pin that <laughs> one. Uh, yeah. Um, 
But real quick, I'll, I'll wrap up my thought. I think that you could do it correctly, even if the three of us were sitting next to each other, wearing HMDs. I think there could be clever ways for, like, commercial times to be interaction times or something like that. Like, all right, pop the headset off, and now there's, like, we're going to have, like, this, you know, two- or three-minute personal interaction and recap things or whatever. Like, I think if you bake that into it, it could be more successful. Because Facebook doesn't even need to sell ads to have you watch it. They, they might only need to see, sell tickets, right? I don't know. Right. Right. And there's lots of potential, too, as sensor technology increases and, like, you can place people on the field perfectly and then you can represent that in 3D oh, right yeah. away. Like, you could live in the play. You could have your seats be, like, on the 20-yard line. Like, not just, like, at the sidelines, but on the 20-yard line. Oh, yeah. Like, like, ideally, you could have it anywhere. I'm just saying, like, to start off, the thing that could happen tomorrow, right, feasibly, is that you could, you know, sit and stream from an actual seat where they have the camera rig sitting. Eventually, I assume right. you could have it anywhere, but, I mean, sooner future will be seated in, seated in where the camera rig is or, pay, you know, like in the near future, there's going to be like helmet view and you can play, you can watch from your favorite player's POV. And it's going to be amazing if you're watching from the quarterback's eyes and you look behind the quarterback and there's a defensive end stare, like running at you and you're like, look out! And, you know, he can't hear you. So it'd be a great, like, real life interaction of the murder yeah. movie. We're like, don't go in there! <laughs> you know what's going to be even more exciting is a hundred years from now when you can just get neural recordings of people and you can live as the quarterback yeah. for the duration yeah of the exactly game. and then take just and then plug, take control just plug in <laughs> yeah exactly so we're kind of joking about that but like that to me that is what the true application of vr is when you can yes. completely experience something entirely different yes. but then for me the vr is still limited by its ability to be experiential and not a whole lot yep. more yep 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 i agree i think that's where it's actually gonna head and it's gonna be great so we're all in agreement that the matrix is the future is that what we're ending <laughs> it has to be are we, are we ending on Snow Crash? Yeah, we're ending on Snow Crash. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to pop my Nerve Gear on and head into the metaverse. I feel yeah, like right. a real hero. Are we ending on Snow Crash or are we ending on Neuromancer? Um, I I like Snow Crash better. So, And plus, plus well, it's cause... plus yeah, Neil Stevenson is from Ames. So ah. there's the Iowa connection. Neuromancer is a pretty dark yeah, book. Gibson's, yeah. Okay, anyway. Yes, I like I like it. Let's all. So now we're all gonna hop out of here, pop on our our riffs, and we're gonna <laughs> play something together. Nope. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. We're gonna need to do that for the record. Just for the record. You can uh, find me on the Xbox One, playing on my TV, not on my headset. Yes. <laughs> Ian's like, "F you guys." <laughs> <laughs>